Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to uh, James. If you didn't know, we're in the book of James. And uh, today we're studying James chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 19 through 27. Um, and I'm just going to uh, jump in in a minute. But what I wanted to do before we get there is just kind of share with you. Maybe some of you go, okay, it's the author of this is James. But who is James? Because there's a couple James in the Bible And so James was really believed, uh, there's not full belief of which one of the three was the author, but what we know of their, the three authority in their lives uh, really leads us to kind of believe that it's the half-brother of Jesus. Um, And he doesn't claim this in his letter, so I'm not saying with full confidence it's that James that's spoken of, but but what we do know is that if it is him, if it is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's writing it, it, it really tells us that this was a skeptic turned faithful follower. Because what we know of scripture about the half-brother of Jesus, James, is that while Jesus was doing his three years of earthly ministry, James didn't think his half-brother was a son of God. He really was more of a skeptic because what, what happens when you have a half-brother, you don't think they're deity. You don't have full confidence that they're God. And so there was kind of this skepticism from James. Is that really who my brother is? And not only that, but we have one instance in the Gospels where what the Bible tells us is that the half-brothers of James and the half-sisters of, of Jesus show up to seize Jesus away and just kind of lead him off and go, we think you're crazy. And, and so they just kind of lead him off because they're, they're all really not sure. And then in James's life, something turned. Something happened really that moved James from skepticism to total surrender. Calling out his brother as, no, 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 this is the son of God. He may be my brother here on earth, but it's even more eternally. He is the one true Jesus. And not just because he thought the, the, the pastorate was a, was a cushy job. So James wasn't just going, hey, I just kind of want to try this pastoring thing. And so I'm going to pastor the church in Jerusalem, say that I mean it, but he, he meant it from his heart. And he believed fully because what we know of James in the end of his life is he was martyred for what he chose to believe in. He was martyred for his belief in his half-brother and his faith in Jesus So as James writes to the church, what we read this morning, kind of the main focus in this text is really James pleading with the church, encouraging the church to not only be hearers of the word, but to receive the word and be doers of the word. Because he himself not only heard what was being preached, but but later what we see in his life is he put into action what he then believed. And so this passage that we're looking at today in chapter 1, verse 19 through 27, it's really, it's greatly influenced and taken out of the final words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount, which is really kind of neat if you just kind of look at that. As we look throughout scripture, often we kind of think that there's all of these books where they're writing and and they have a completely different message. But what we see is they're, they're addressing things culturally, they're addressing things biblically, but also they're influenced by Jesus. They're led by Jesus. And so we see before James gets into this portion for us that Jesus already said these things that we need to be doers of the word. And he said this in Matthew 7, his final instruction in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in verse 24, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So as we read our text this morning, as we get into the ending of chapter one in James, really what James is taking from is his big brother. He's taking from the words of a very popular sermon and saying, we need to not only be hearers, but we need to be doers of the word. And so we're going to read James chapter one, verse 19 through 27. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at, the, at, the, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so in these eight verses, what we see is somewhat of a shift from what we talked about last week. If, if you were here last week, what we really talked about is that James was really writing to encourage and to equip the believers, that the church that was scattered in the midst of persecution, in the midst of their trials, he's really wanting to encourage and to equip them. Listen, count it all joy when you face these trials. But in this section, as he concludes chapter one, James is really stirring things up a bit. He really shifts his focus really at the hopes of let's, let's get you moving. Okay, count it all joy. I want to encourage you. I want to equip you. And now I want to send you out. I want you to go and be doers of the word. And so from these eight verses, kind of the, the main idea, the key sentence, if you will, is that we need to be doers of the word. We need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And what James tells us, tells us about a doer of the word is that a doer of the word receives the word. They receive the word. In verse 21, James refers to the word as the implanted word, which is in reference to the gospel. And so James is really saying this this implanted word in you, it's the receiving of the gospel, almost using it as the message of this is a seed planted within you that it would grow up into something wonderful. But before we can receive or put on that implanted word, we need to reject or put off what is worldly in us. Because to receive the word means we're stepping into gospel living and stepping out of worldly living. Are we still going to struggle? Absolutely. But how are you going to live? According to the gospel, not according to the world. 
And so James is really encouraging and, and wanting to stir things up here for the believer, saying, step into gospel living. Receive the implanted word. And what does James call worldly? He says, anger, filthiness, rampant wickedness. And so for us, if we're going to receive and, and, and take in the implanted word, for God's word to bear its fruit in our life, for that to grow up into something godly, into something great, the weeds of sin need to be uprooted in our lives. So there's all these things that are keeping us from producing fruit, from growing in Christ, and they need to be removed. Because we can't even hope to benefit from a study of the word if we continue to dwell on what's spiritually filthy and, and, and what is wicked, as James says. We need to remove those things, which kind of makes me wonder if, if sometimes why we can spend so much time in the word and, and feel like we've got nothing out of it. Or, or you come on a Sunday and go, man, pastor's sermon was just boring today. I got nothing out of it. Maybe for you, it's, it's really not a point of someone not saying the right things. Are you finding the right passage? Are you finding the right devotional? Maybe it's a point of what needs to be uprooted. Because for us to receive the world or receive the word, we need to remove what's worldly. And so James says, really, we need to remove that, the, the, the anger, the filthiness, the rampant wickedness. And, and how does he instruct us to be instead? He says, quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we need to be sure to take the words out of the pages of the word of God and implant them into our hearts. Saying, I'm, God, I want to put off all that is worldly and, and take up what is godly. For us to do that, not just paying a, a lip service to the word of God or to God himself, but for us to fully take up the word of God. Because a clear sign of those who have the implanted word, what is the clear evidence of someone walking in the gospel is that the word of God is written on their hearts. You see that in their day to day. You see that in their relationships, how they, how they steward their finances, how they approach things. And not just, not perfectly, but, but faithfully. Having a repentant heart, receiving the word. And the psalmist gives us a clear picture of this in Psalm 119. It says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He doesn't say that I will not. I'm going to be perfect if I do this. But he says, faithfully, I come to you. I will store these things in my heart that I might not sin against you. So let me ask you this, church, for you to think about, where is the word today? And you may just have a reference point of, of where your Bible is at your home. And that's okay if you didn't bring it this morning, you're not in trouble. But maybe for you, you're thinking more of a reference point of where it's at in your house, where it's at with you right now this morning. But do you really believe that the word of God is only in the printed text? Or do you believe that if we were to really read it often enough, if we were to meditate on it genuinely, that that would become the implanted word in our hearts. That's what I believe. I believe that as we read the word of God, it, it doesn't come a, a new shape or a new form of the word of God, but it becomes implanted in our lives that from there we would go out having received the word that we would walk in gospel living. 
Because it isn't possible without faithful or, or daily Bible reading for us to really receive the word. For us to say, I've received it, I've got it, I got my free Bible at that one church service at that one time, and I've got the word. Receiving the word is a faithful process. James says, don't just be hearers that one time, be doers. Continue to apply it. So a doer of the word has to receive the word. And then what James tells us is that as a doer of the word receives the word, they then act on the word. In verse 22, James uses a clear cautionary language. And he tells the believers that those who do not act deceive themselves. They're not, just, they're not just not acting, they're also deceiving themselves, and they're not really deceiving anyone else. They're not deceiving God, they're not deceiving Satan, they're not deceiving really, if you, if you really look into someone's life who's not really living according to the word and says they live according to the word, it's, it's easy to see they're not really going to deceive you, but they will deceive themselves. So James uses an example, an illustration of a mirror. To look and reflect and to act on what you see. And so for me this morning, I got a very healthy illustration for myself as I got up this morning. And I noticed over the last two days, I've had beard hairs that have just kind of shifted off this way. Really long that I missed and it just looked really awkward and uncomfortable. And when my hair grows, it grows out from here. And I realize I need to do some grooming. Okay? You can laugh. That's okay. What I realized was that as I see the issue, here's some things. I'm not, I'm not looking presentable. I can go, man, that needs to be addressed and then walk away and not address that. Or right there in the moment, I can grab the clippers and go, something needs to be trimmed back. Something needs to be addressed here. So that's what James is telling us. The actual application of the word in our lives is through faithful obedience to every word we read. That as we stand in front of that illustration of the mirror, we look intently into it and say, what, what needs to change within me? How do I act upon in faithful obedience the things that need to be removed? It, are, are there some things that are kind of going this way, kind of going that way, and, and this is not presentable, not, not before man, but before God? Am I being faithful in obedience to God? Because those who act on the word, move in faithful obedience. And I think when we act on the word, it doesn't just mean our interpretation. Because church, I will be honest with you, it scares me, some of our interpretations of the word. And so what is interesting is that you can get a group of five people in one room, ask one question, and have 30 variations of that question. Some of that, sometimes people write books on, they, they write commentaries on that aren't in alignment with scripture, but for whatever reason, we adapt it as truth and, and say it is. And so we need to be careful as we act on the word. Let me give you another example. Have you ever watched a group of normal people gather to play football? And I don't mean the Seahawks, okay? Because they're a little bit more pro. And as you get together tonight, think on this, but have you ever watched a normal group of people play football? Okay, as you see them together, as they're organizing teams, their positions, their, their, their gear, they're getting ready, they're, they're, they're airing up the, uh, the, the footballs, unless you're that one team. And could you imagine, just for a second, as they start the game, as they're preparing to play, each begins to follow rules in their own way as they interpret them. 
Could you imagine how that game is going to go? And so someone just says, someone walks in to the game and says, you know what? I know it's 11 guys on the field, but I like even numbers. That's kind of my thing is even numbers. So how about we do 10 instead or or 20? Let's just add 20 because I like even numbers. So let's do that. And then someone else walks in in the midst of that and says, oh, okay. You know, I know if your team intercepts the ball, that means you have the ball, but I don't really think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. So, so let's, uh, let's allow do-overs. Let's just allow do-overs where if, if we fumble, we get to start where we want, how we want with the ball. Okay, so let's do that. And then, and then if another walks up and says, hey, I used to play pro football. I used to be the team captain. So I figure since I know more than the rest of you, I know a lot of this. How about I tell you when you're not following the rules? Kind of a uh, player ref, if you will. You know, I couldn't cut it as a ref, but how about I just be your ref? Do you hear how ridiculous this sounds? See, here's my concern, church, where this illustration fits into us acting on the word, is that this is like what happens when each one of us takes the word of God and begins to interpret it in our own ways, not according to its literal text, to its literal term of what God says. And we take it and go, this is kind of what I think, and this is kind of a cultural thing, and so I'm going to add my opinion, this is how this fits me, rather than taking the word at face value and applying its true interpretation. Not taking two verses, but the whole chapter, the whole book, spending the intentional time in it and remembering that we have to have a right view and an understanding of the word. Okay, I'm not going to grab those two verses to align with with me. I'm going to submit to it regardless of how uncomfortable and upside down this calls me to be. I'm going to align with it, not demand it aligns with me. And so those who act on the word don't bring it into their own interpretation of acting, but they follow it faithfully. And James calls the word of God the perfect law of liberty. And I think what's incredible about this, why he uses this terminology, is this is because it is the power to create anew, to save us, that we would be born again in Christ Jesus, that it would sanctify us. And if you don't know what that word means, that's okay. What I've said before, the definition of sanctification is that we would be set apart for God. We would set, be set apart to be holy. And that we would be preserved by the word. That it would point us to gospel living. And not just an idea of gospel living, but an action. And so it provides true freedom. As we act on the word, remember Jesus says, his, his ways are not burdensome. They're light. And so the word of God is true freedom from guilt and the dominion of sin over our lives. And what? gives us the word, what gives the word this power is really the message it contains from the first book to the last book and everything in between, that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul says, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the the message of salvation for all who would hear that is where the power of the word comes. And so as many would come in and and say, here's my new interpretation of it. Here's my new counter to it. To act on the word, we have to be in submission to it. 
as Hebrew calls it, a, a double-edged sword, active and living. We need to act on the word. And the third and, and final thing that, that James gives us is that a doer of the word practices true religion. A doer of the word practices true religion. And in the final verse, verse 27 in our text, James gives us really two key ways of how to practice true and pure religion. He says, by visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so in this verse, James is really getting at the heart of the issue with his crowd. Because what we know of his, of his crowd, even though they're dispersed and they're struggling in the midst of, of temptations, in the midst of, of trials, what we know of the church in Jerusalem is that they, they knew the word. They knew, they had a lot of knowledge, but they weren't growing in it. They weren't seeking maturity. They were choosing to be victims rather than victors. And so when James first opens up, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, and then moves into so that we can be doers of the word. And so James's conclusion here is really, let's get to work. Let's get to work. And he points out orphans and widows. I really want to clarify this for us. He points out orphans and widows as those to reach because they were particularly vulnerable in those times. And I mean, if, if, if you've seen anything of orphans and, and, and widows of today's time, they're still vulnerable, but there's a lot added to that list. And so for us to not neglect, but to understand there are, there are many that are particularly vulnerable. And see, here's what's really hard as a pastor in this passage. If I can just take a time out for a second, because what I think is on is an, super important to unpack what is critical and, and difficult about this passage is that here this morning, we're not just, we're not just one camp of people hearing this. We, we really have two camps almost of groups that are hearing this. And so in my just desire for you to seek the word of God, there's, there's really two things we, we need to look at here. That, that for some of you, you are at a place where you need a wake-up call. You, you need to get to work because you're lazy. As scripture says that you're not being a doer of the word, but, but here's also what's important is that there's some of you here that James is calling the vulnerable. Whether it's vulnerable in your faith, whether it's vulnerable in, in the trials that you're walking through, you're at a place of struggle. And so what I really want us to understand for us to practice true religion is figuring out what camp am I in? Because not of all of us are in the same camp. Not all of us are in the same season, but we all submit to the same word of God. And so to the first group, if, if, if you're in that place, whether you see it or not, but you, you're realizing, man, I'm, I am kind of lazy. I, I'm lazy in the eyes of God. I'm not really doing anything. I, I talk a big game. I know a lot, but I'm not doing anything. Here's my question for you. What kind of religion do you have? When you think of, of how James says we need to be practicing true and pure and genuine religion, what kind of religion do you have? Because there's, there's really three kind of false, fake types of religion. One that's kind of like a spare tire, 
where you only kind of take it out when, when in emergencies. Oh man, I need that. I need that group of people. I need that support. There, there's the emergency. Better, better grab that. Maybe for you, it's, it's more like a wheelbarrow where, where it's easily upset. You're just kind of rocking and going, man, I need something to put all my crap in. And so I'm just going to grab my religion. I'm going to take that with me. But, but, but then you got to push it and it's heavy and it doesn't make sense. Or maybe for you, your, your kind of religion is like a taxi where it, you only approach it, you only pursue it when it's going your way, when you get to make the calls, when you get to take the, the shots. So what type of religion do you have? Because a lazy religion, a religion that is void of true and the gospel is a religion that's all about you. A religion that's all about your one hour that you sacrifice, your couple dollars you sacrifice, but really how dare it ask anything else of you. And so James is really intentionally saying, you're lazy. You need to get to work. You need to be intentional. You need to be a doer of the word. And then for those of us who who find ourselves in the second group where we're just eager to be doers of the word, maybe, maybe new or over, over longevity. You're just excited. You want to be a doer of the word. And maybe for you, you, you feel that you're in that vulnerable state. You're in that state that James points out in the, in the orphans and widows, and you just feel exhausted. So let me encourage you when it comes to religion, to true religion, as James points out, not false religion of what we see today, but true religion frees. True religion in Christ Jesus is freeing because we are not saved by works. It's not us, not after all we can do, but saved for works to go and share the message of the gospel. Go out and live it. And this is what Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 10. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not, not by good works, not after all we can do, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so catch those two pieces that, that Paul is saying about the freedom that we find in true and genuine religion, that, that, you, are, that you are his workmanship. You are God's workmanship and you are created in Christ Jesus. Remember those two things before you see the point that it is for good works. That before your good works, you were saved. Before you've done anything, you have been saved. And so true religion is not a list of facts or information. It's faith. True religion is not a a false religion, but it's a relationship. And it's not perfect memorization, but it's faithful movement. And here's what Martin Luther says that I love about what both of us in both of those camps really need to hear and what we really need to apply is what he says is that the world doesn't need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration of it doesn't need a definition, it needs a demonstration. And so church, as we go out from here, my prayer for us to be is to be doers of the word. 
that, that God has in fact given us an incredible opportunity where we have a space to put our stuff, a space where we no longer have to think about, man, what are the protocols of set up teardown? How, how do we manage and repair our things? Cause they keep going back and forth and they're beat up. They're, they're just here. We don't manage these things anymore. And I believe that is because God is calling us into a new season where we would be intentional with one another to be doers of the word and to pursue good works in Jesus Christ to share the message of who he is. Let's pray.